Have you ever had a day that when you woke up, you took a look at your calendar and you said, I don't have anything to do today. They're rare and you embrace them. And whether you're married or single, you say, this is my day. I can do whatever I want to. I get to rest. I want to stay home, stay in my pajamas, watch TV. I can do that. Curl up and read a book. I can do that. I just go out and about. My day's free. Those are great days to have. How many of you have ever had one of those days on your calendar? And when you got out of bed, you thought that's where it was going to happen. And yet sometime in the early part of that day, everything got turned upside down. And it turned out, no, I didn't plan any of this stuff. <clears throat> all that rest, all that relaxation, none of this happened. If you ever had that, just raise your hand out there. Whoa, most of the congregation. Thank you. <laughs> I'm probably the guy that called you, didn't I? <laughs> no. We've had that. It's an unexpected day. We're in a series talking about an unexpected Jesus. We're going to look at a, at a passage of Scripture that was an unexpected day. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to start with the 22nd verse. And uh, to set up this day, what had happened, you've got to see what's happened weeks before that. Jesus sat down with these 12 disciples and he says, listen, guys, uh, you've been following me. I've been teaching you. I've been training you. I'm giving ready to give you authority to go and go two by two out throughout the country. And you've got the authority to be able to cast out demons. You've got the authority to heal people, cleanse them of leprosy. And you go out and preach that the kingdom has come. And so they did. So they went out and did that. In the meantime, John the Baptist was imprisoned and King Herod had him executed, one of Jesus' closest associates. And all of a sudden, he has been executed, John the Baptist. And when something like that happens, you need to take a step back. And at the same time, all the disciples came and they were trying to talk to him, give him all this feedback. This was incredible. Let me tell you what, what God did while all this time we were out in the country sharing about the kingdom and healing the sick and, and cleansing the lepers and all of this. And it said in the book of Mark that they couldn't even eat because there were so many people that were pressed around them. So Jesus came up with this idea. And he says, okay, guys, we're getting away. We're getting away. We're going to get in the boat, and we're going to sail across the Sea of Galilee and go to a desolate place. And when we get there, it'll be a time where we can get feedback from the mission trip. We can rest. We can relax. We can recharge. And then late that afternoon, we'll just come on back home. Let's do that. And so they left from Capernaum. And if you looked at the Sea of Galilee, you just kind of drew just sort of like this, uh, like a parabola or whatever that would be, sort of like this. Capernaum's here, go straight across. You got a desolate area over there. And then you got this. So they were going to get on the boat. And they were going to sail over there. Thing about the Sea of Galilee, it's below sea level. And there are ascending hills and mountains all around it. Which what that means is, is that while you're standing on the shore, you could be at a distance and you could see a ship take off and begin to see where it was headed. Well, everybody saw that Jesus got in this boat, and so they said, let's go meet him. So people began to walk all the way across to get to the location. Well, in the meantime, Jesus' disciples, they're just taking their time. They're in no big hurry. They're relaxing on a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and the guys are sharing about uh, what happened on their mission trip and, and the amazing things that God was doing. It's our relaxing day. It's everything we thought it would be. And then they hit the shore. And as soon as they hit the shore, it says that there were crowds of people there. And when Jesus got off the boat, he said, it said he had compassion for them. 
Well, once it said Jesus had compassion for them, it meant our whole schedule is getting ready to be turned upside down. Because then what he did was he started healing the people that were sick. And he started helping them with their ailments. And, and, and then as he was healing people, and as the crowd began to grow, hey, you get a crowd, preacher's going to preach. So uh, he said, let's move up some on this hill. So they moved up, toward, up towards the hill. And then he began to teach. And, and the numbers say that there were 5,000 men there. That's just men. So if you had women, children, it could be anywhere from 10 to 12 to 15,000 people. And they're all crowded up on this hill. And as they're up on this hill and Jesus is teaching and preaching, he goes late. And as he goes late, the disciples come to him and they said, hey, master, it's late. Uh, there's nowhere to eat around here. You got to send the people away. And Jesus says, you feed the people. I said, you feed them. So he sent them out looking for food. They came back. They found a boy. He had two fish burgers and an extra piece of bread. And he took it and he said, I'll give this to you. What good will it do? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I want you to put everybody into dining parties. And you put them in the dining parties, what that means is you put them in groups of hundreds and groups of 50. So you take this 10, 15,000 whatever people and you begin to organize them and set them in a dining party. During that day, when you began to put people in the hundreds and the 50s, they knew what was coming. It would be like going into our fellowship hall and I say, if you'll go have a seat at that table and take the napkin and put it in your lap, what do you think is coming? Food. So they're in this expectation of food. And the whole time they're setting these dining parties up, they said, we ain't got anything but two fish burgers and a piece of bread. I have no idea whether this is going to work. And then all of a sudden they go back to Jesus. He begins to multiply it. Then they have the responsibility of delivering all of that food to all of those thousands of people. And they're going, getting a basket, going over here, delivering here, getting a basket, delivering here, back and forth, back and forth, serving all of these people. And then it says they had to do the cleanup duty and that they canned up with 12 baskets of leftovers that they could use for take-home meals and put in little take-home boxes where people could have some food to go. This is what they did. This was their relaxing day off. And after they did all of that, then Jesus says, okay, it's time for you to get in the boat, and I'm going to let you go across, and you go ahead of me. This took all day. And this is where you pick it up in verse 22. In verse 22, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You say, well, why did he do that? Well, when you look at the book of John, it talks about this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And in verses 14 and 15, it says this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He's done this miracle. He's fed all these people. And now all of a sudden, they're beginning to say, this guy could be the king. This could be our earthly king. This is the guy that we've been waiting for. And then the crowd started chanting, going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, they felt this was it. This was the man. This was perfect. And as he's beginning to hear that, the first thing he did was he went to his disciples and he said, get out of town. Get back on the boat and get out of there. And the reason he dismissed them is that Throughout their time with Jesus, they spent most of their uh, alone time arguing who would be the greatest, who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then some even said, I want to be on his right hand, and others, I want to be on his, on his left hand when he enters into the kingdom of God. And so he knew the way they were thinking, and the last thing they needed was more fuel on that fire. So he said, you guys need to get in the boat. I tell you what, you go on, and you go before me, and in essence, I'll meet you later. 
And he said, I want you to travel to Gennesaret. If, if, if Capernaum is here, Gennesaret's just barely so, uh, south of it. So you're going uh, from the east side back to the west side, get back on your boat and go across there, and I'll catch up with you guys later. <clears throat> and he dismissed them. And then when he dismissed them, those people had to walk down their hilly terrain, get back in their boat, and then began to head over there. And so the question is, well, how was Jesus going to get back over there? My best guess is just thinking he'd catch, catch a boat ride with someone else. He could spend the night there and maybe catch a boat ride with someone else, or maybe later in the evening, maybe someone else has got a boat, could get there. But either way, he says, you go over that side and meet me. So, verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. The crowd was clamoring for him to be their earthly king. And then it says that Jesus withdrew, went up to the mountain, and he was alone, and he prayed. So you began to ask yourself, so why did he do that? Why was he going to that mountain to pray? The Bible says in the book, in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are, yet was without sin. And when we think about the temptation of Jesus, we go to the time when he was in the wilderness and Satan tempted him three specific times. And in the book of Luke, this is how the temptation closed out. In Luke 4.13, it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Look at that last part of that verse, until an opportune time. And Satan is saying, I may not be hitting on you every day, but I'll look for that opportune time, maybe that greatest sign of weakness, and then I'm coming after you. Do you think this was an opportune time? Just think about it. Jesus, starting the day, just wanted to get away with his disciples. There's some sorrow in his heart to know the execution of John the Baptist. As soon as he sees, as soon as he gets off the boat, he sees people that are, have needs, and so he's got this compassion. And, uh, and in his compassion, he does healing, and then all of a sudden, he's feeding thousands of people over here. And so he puts this plan retreat, this rest retreat on hold. He begins to take care of the sick. He begins to teach God's word. And he begins to see amazing things begin to happen. And people are coming up to him, giving him all this great affirmation. Don't we love affirmation? You're the best. You're the meeting all my needs. This is wonderful. And everyone's there for him. There's nobody, no cynic in the crowd. Nobody's upset. Nobody's saying, I wish I had tartar sauce with my sandwich. You know, none of that. I mean, this is totally unexpected, all that happened to him. And everything is positive. And they're talking to him, you could be the king. And just look at what he did. He took care of their physical ailments. He took care of their nutritional needs. He gave them incredible spiritual thoughts so they could get a better understanding as to who God is. That is a perfect, a perfect formula for success of an earthly king. I'm meeting physical needs, nutritional needs, stretching you spiritually, helping you know more about who God is. This would be a pretty good deal. And see, Jesus, you could be this earthly king. And if you could raise up to be earthly king, you're strong enough, and you can rally the people enough, we can get Rome out of Jerusalem. And we can get Rome out of Jerusalem, and we can set up Jerusalem again as a capital that's no longer in servitude to Rome. You could get us to where we're worshiping correctly uh, there uh, in the temple and could talk to the people all right here in Jerusalem and all through Israel. 
Oh, he'd be a great king. That'd be great. But you see, that wasn't his purpose. That wasn't his purpose. You go to one of the first verses we, we learned in the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. So whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when he gave his son, it was because his son was going to go to the cross and then he was going to raise from the dead. In this scenario, there is no cross, there is no resurrection. And the result is, is that the rest of the world will die in their sins and go to hell with no hope of eternal life in heaven. So Satan's got a pretty good plan. If Jesus would just buy into that. And with all that push on him and seeing the pressure it puts on his disciples, he withdrew. And as he withdraws, I believe, all you just got the one sentence there, I believe he's praying through that, saying, not my will, Lord, but your will. And he's also praying for those followers, those 12 disciples that he just sent out across the lake. Well, so now in our event, it shifts and the emphasis goes and picks up on the disciples. And I want you to follow with me starting in the 24th verse. And he says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. So you're sailing this direction, but the wind is blowing this way and it's making really hard for them to make progress to get across the lake. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The attention has now shifted to the disciples, and they're not making very much progress. I mean, they've been going throughout the night trying to just get across this five-mile stretch from one end to the other end of the lake, but because of the wind that's blowing, they are having a tough time. I mean, they are fighting it over here. And you know while they're fighting this wind, there's got to be some discussion among these guys saying, so much for our leisurely day. This is our day of rest and relaxation and recharging, and all we've been doing is working all day. I mean, we're sitting there setting up for meals. We're having to serve meals. We're having to clean up the meals. And now we're in this boat. We're exhausted. We can't get to, the, to home. We're trying the best of, of our ability. And we're just struggling. But you know what's interesting is that even while Jesus was on the mountain, in Mark chapter 4, verse 48, it says, and Jesus saw that they were distressed. So from where he was up on that mountain, as he's praying to the Father and praying for them, he could look down and know that they were distressed. And they needed him. And so it says he came to them. He came to them on the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night is three in the morning until six in the morning. 
So just kind of put that in your, in your mind, these hours that they've been battling this storm over here. And let's just say it's three o'clock in the morning. And so it's three o'clock in the morning. He came to them walking on the sea. Unexpected Jesus. Do you agree with that? Unexpected Jesus. Not one of them said, hey, I wonder if Jesus is going to come walking by uh, today. Unexpected Jesus. Had no idea that this was going to happen. And here he comes. You see, once they got in the boat and took off heading to the other side, if you were a reporter, you'd say, so when are you going to see Jesus again? Oh, we're going to see him uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, We'll be in Gennesaret, and we'll see him standing on dry land. But yet, in the middle of the night, he is walking across the water towards them. And their response was the same as your response and the same as they said in the video. They were terrified. I mean, they're fighting all of this, and all of a sudden they look around and they see something coming their way. That has scared the bejeebers out of me, okay? That's a Hebrew word uh, on there. And, and they were terrified, and they said, it must be a ghost. And they said, what's today getting to? I'm battling storms, now I've got a ghost coming across, and he's over here coming to me. And in Jesus' response, and, and I like the New Living Translation, because the New Living Translation says it like this. He says, Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Jesus spoke to them at once, okay? He spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Now, this is where I want you to write some things down. When Jesus comes to us in an unexpected way on an unexpected day, one of four things can happen or two things, or three things, or all four things can happen. Four things happened on this day. Number one, Jesus calms your fears. Number one is Jesus calms your fears. I like the verse where it says Jesus spoke to them at once, immediately. Because you see, once they said there's a ghost, Jesus didn't go, woo, and just kind of move back and forth and say, I'm getting scared over here. No. As soon as there was the fact that they were in fear, he already knew they were distressed. Mark 4 says that. And and so he knew that. And so he knew they were distressed. He came, and when he came to them, the first thing he said to them was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he spoke at once. And he says, don't be afraid. I am here. And Jesus calms our fears in two different ways. First of all, with his presence. And Michael talked a little bit about this. Just his presence. He says, I am here. And Jesus wanted them to know that his very presence was all they needed to survive and to reach their intended destination. And at times, we should gain strength with the knowledge that Jesus is always present. And that through our faith in him as Savior, we should have an inner peace in the midst of the storms of our lives just because of his presence. He is present through the Holy Spirit to guide you and uphold you through the roughest of waters. His presence is there. And so you hear testimony after testimony of people as they walk through difficult times to where they can say there was a calming presence there because I felt the Spirit of God speaking into my heart. And I've just felt his arms around me. I can't explain it. There wasn't anything I saw tangible. It's just my spirit connected with his spirit, and there was a peace that was there. 
He calms our fears, and that's what he told them. He says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm here. Just my presence is here. But there's also a second way that he calms our fears, and that's his power. And his power is, is that it says that when he got into the boat that the wind ceased. And so where they were all fearful because of this terrible storm, as soon as Jesus got in the boat, guess what he did? The wind ceased. And he can apply his power to whatever storm you're encountering, and he can calm the storm, and he can give you relief, and he can give you victory. Jesus is so powerful that he could intervene and impact the external circumstances of your life. He could physically calm the storm like he did in this passage. Or he could internally calm the storm that's inside of you, that raging storm of doubt and of anger and of confusion. He has the power to calm that. And most of the times when we pray, we want to see that tangible power of God to come in and just do his magic and take all that stuff away and calm that storm. And he does that sometimes. And there are times when he steps in and there's a miraculous healing that takes place. And there are times where he steps into your particular job and, and does some things that you say could only be the hand of God that has allowed me to continue working over here or this business to continue, can continue to grow and to, and to prosper. And there are times where he can step into a relationship and it's just something tangible that happens in there. You can see the power of God. But there are other times where he says, it's just my presence. And I think a challenge for all of us as believers is to say, Lord, first of all, I want your presence, and I'd love to see your power. Where most of us say, hey, Lord, just give me your power. I want you to go and work all these circumstances out, and then if you want your presence to come, that's okay. His presence is, well, is most important. You should not base your faith on him removing the trouble, but you should gain strength with the knowledge that he is forever present. See, my strength is not gained just by saying, God, you've got to remove this. It, my strength is to know that his presence is always there and the knowledge of that. And that's what he told them. He didn't get in the boat and say, hey, guys, don't be afraid now. He was walking towards the boat, and he said, hey, guys, don't be afraid. I'm here. Now, here's the second thing, and that is when Jesus comes in an unexpected way on an unexpected day, he challenges your faith. He challenges your faith. I was trying to parse what he said. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I want you to stay with me for a moment. Don't be afraid. Take courage. All right, don't be afraid. These guys are fishermen. They grew up on this lake. They know the Sea of Galilee, and this was a tough storm. And, and the winds were, you know, they were just having a hard time trying to get, a, get across there. And Jesus gives a reassuring word and said, hey, don't be afraid. All right, now, if I'm a fisherman and I'm trained and I've got this calming voice saying, hey, don't be afraid. Okay, all right. You got training. You know how to do this. You can make it through here. Come on, I'm with you. Let's go. But then he also said, take courage. And if I'm a trained fisherman, I don't know how much courage I need just to try to get my boat uh, steered towards the shore. So I'm thinking that when he says take courage, that in the midst of calming fears, he's also challenging you to take a big step of faith. And I think there are times in our lives when we have got something going on in our life that is so causing so much fear that when Jesus shows up, 
and he calms our fears, he then issues a big challenge for us to take a step of faith. He's got your attention. I mean, he's got your attention already. You've been praying to him, man, I want you to calm my fears. He says, I'm right here. And then all of a sudden, he will present a challenge for you to take a big step of faith. And in verse 28, Peter was the one that was willing to take this challenge. In verse 28, Peter answered him. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. If it is you. All right. For years, I've struggled with that. I read that just like it says. If it's you, tell me to come out in the water. If it's you. Who else do you think it would be? Have you ever thought about that? Do you think the disciples are sitting there and Jesus comes over there and he says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. You think that's Jesus? Who's that? Well, you know, Nate, the guy from the bait shop, I saw him two days ago. He was walking on the water. He usually does it in the morning. He kind of walks his dog, but, uh, you know, I'm, it's kind of late for him to get out. I don't know. What do you think? Who else would it be? Come on, be with me. Who do you think? Raise your hand if you've got another name to give me over here. You know? Ah, who could it be? <laughs> he said, if it's you, Lord, what do you mean if it's me? How many people do you think walk across the water? In the Greek language, there are called different classes or conditions in a first, second, third class. And this is what is called like a first class condition, which means if, and I presume that it is true. You could almost put the word since in there. Since it is you. If, and I presume that it is true. All right? Since you are who you say you are, you are Jesus. You're the guy we've been following. Since that, I want you to do this for me. Command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you on the water. There's a song that, um, that we have been singing that we've, uh, it's kind of the genesis of this whole uh, sermon series called Shadow Step. And there's a line within that song, and it says, and I'll chase your voice through the dark, fix my eyes on the unexpected, in the wonder of your shadow step, so take another step. I'll chase your voice through the darkness. I hear you. I want you to command me. And in the wonder of your shadow step, I'll take another step. And so the unexpected Jesus came taking steps on the water, and now Peter is ready to take the next step. His desire is not to swim to Jesus, but to walk on the waters because he says, command me to come to you on the water. It was a bold request. And why did Peter make that bold request? Let me tell you why. It was interesting. We were doing a little bit of uh, preparation over here, and Tate Hips, you get a, get a shout out over here, is working the camera. He made a statement here as to why he thought Peter would do it, and he was spot on. He was spot on. Tate, come up here and share us what, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but he was like spot on. Except I could take it even a little bit further. Think about what these guys have been doing. I mean, it, it just, it, they had just come back from traveling around and uh, preaching on the kingdom of God. And before they left, Jesus says, I give you the authority to heal people and for you to be able to um, take out demons. So you can take people, remove demons from their lives. You can heal the sick. You can cleanse the leper. I give you that authority. And so he had just received that authority. Jesus had given it to him. And because Jesus gave it to him, they did that. They healed the sick. They cast out the demons. They cleansed the leper. 
and Peter and the other 11 disciples had experienced this, oppor- experienced this opportunity to perform miraculous deeds because they were operating under the authority in which Jesus had given them. And so when he gave them this authority, they did it, and it was miraculous things happened. If you notice what Peter said, he did not say, hey, Jesus, this looks like fun. Can I come out there and take some laps around the boat? No, what did he say? Command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you. The main reason he wanted to walk on the water was to come to Jesus. The main reason we take a big step of faith is to come closer to Jesus. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so if I want to please him, I want to take that step of faith. And Peter, wanting to please Jesus, come close to Jesus, says, I want to come to you. I'm going to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says in verse 29, one of the scariest verses, he says, okay, come on. Or my translation says, come on, big guy. I'm ready for you. And 11 other disciples said, I don't think I'd ask that question. I don't don't know about this. And you know what it did? thought about that song. He says, fix your eyes on the unexpected in the wonder of your shadow step. Fix your eyes on the unexpected. And so he fixed his eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the unexpected. And the verse says, and he stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. He actually walked on the water. Because you see what happened is that Jesus, first of all, calmed their fears. And in the midst of them being fearful, he then comes up and he challenges their faith. While I've got your attention, I want to challenge you to take a step of faith. You know, I was, I'm thinking, I was just thinking throughout our congregation, I'm thinking of Andy and Jan Thrower. And Andy and Jan Thrower, when they found out that their youngest son, Anderson, um, had a form of cancer, he kind of threw them for a loop. And as they go through and they begin to do work there at Children's Hospital and and as the son goes through uh, all the tests and the transfusions and everything else and the medicines and as they're going through that, they are praying and say, God, I need you to calm our fears because no one likes to hear that word. And what God did was that Jesus came and he gave them a great comfort and gave them a great peace. And then while they were involved in walking their son through this journey, they noticed that there were other couples who didn't leave, live in Birmingham who had to come to Children's Hospital and they had no place to stay. They had no one to meet physical needs or emotional needs and it saddened their heart. And then it's almost as God spoke to them and he brought before them 2 Corinthians and he says, with the same comfort you've received, you are to give that comfort to others. And so in the midst of one of their greatest challenges to where they're praying, God, please, if you'll come and you'll give us, give us some peace and calm our fears, God then says, hey, I got something better for you. I want to challenge you with a big step of faith. And so what they did was they left their work and they created a new ministry called 18 Ministries. And in 18 Ministries, that's what they do. They minister to families who have children going through pediatric cancer and they're meeting their needs. In the midst of one of the greatest difficulties, not only did God come in the presence, calm their fears, he then stepped up and said, I got a challenge for you. And see, again, I don't think God ever, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't ever throw away a hurt. He doesn't waste a hurt. And sometimes in some of the greatest hurts or pains and when we're looking for his peace, he slips back around and he says, I got a challenge for you. 
I'm ready for you to take this step of faith. And he did that. And Peter did that. And wouldn't it be great if we just closed the Bible up and said, wasn't that a great story? I'm so glad of Peter. He's walking on the water. Congratulations. But see, most people don't really think about that. They think about the next few verses. And that's the third point. That is that Jesus corrects your failures. Jesus corrects your failures. Because in verse 30, he says, you know, it says, Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water. He came to Jesus. He was doing exactly what he said he would do. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He took steps on the water. And you remember it said the wind was blowing pretty heavy there. And if you've ever been on a lake, when the wind's blowing, it means the, the, the water's kind of choppy and everything. And, and as he's walking on this water, all of a sudden this gust of wind comes and the water begins to blow across his feet. And being a fisherman and understanding these things, he says, you know, this isn't right. This isn't normal. And he begins to look at the wind and the waves and the circumstances, and then he begins to sink. And he says, then he begins to sink. His natural response was to cry out to Jesus to save him. That was his natural response. And in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him. He immediately took his hand, all right? Now, when you think about uh, Jesus and, um, and, uh, and Peter, and you think about walking on the water, uh, you know, there is, um, I think you need to understand how we're going to uh, set, this, uh, set this up. So uh, let's see, hey, about, hey, Michael, Michael, can I get you to come up over here? All right. We have not practiced this before, have we? That's great. All right. All right. I want you to stand right over here. Stand right over here. You're fine. You're fine right there. All right. Now, Peter sang a song when he walked on the water. I'm just kidding you. All right. So you, you're right there. You're right there. Now, whenever a, uh, a father is working with his son or daughter and they're learning how to swim, you know those things to where you want them to jump in the water and swim to you? And as the dad, you're here and the son usually says what? Come up closer, come up closer. And you get to your spot. And your child jumps in the water and he's flailing his arms, he's kicking his legs like crazy and he comes right to you. You're not coming to him, you're, they, they come right to you. Well, sometimes people will look at this passage and think, well, that's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus is standing over here and he says, hey, Peter, come. Okay, I'm going to stand here, see if you can get this far over here. But that's not how it was at all. If you look at the earlier verses, it said Jesus was coming to the boat and so Jesus has a purpose, that is to come to the boat and to provide a calmness of these people, okay? We're trying to calm their fears. And so he makes it known where he is and that he's here. And then Peter says, I want to come to you. And he says, come to you. And what I'd like you to do, Michael, just take four steps, all right? Now, you take four steps. Now, as you're taking your steps and you get to that fourth step, now you stop right there. This may be where he starts to sink. And as he starts to sink, Jesus is already coming to him. See, they're coming to each other. Because see, my goal is to get to the boat over there where Ryan is. But you, I'm also watching you. And as you're getting ready to sink, I'm putting my hand out and grabbing you. It's not a thing where God's standing over here. Jesus is standing over here and says, okay, take a step of faith and see how far you can get. And if you sink, and then maybe you can swim over here a little bit later. He's walking towards you at the same time you're walking towards him. All right. And so when you do that fall, he grabs you and he pulls you back up. Big hand for Michael Adler. Great job over here. Hey, we're here all week. So we hope that you'll come out and see us uh, every day over here. Now, 
what happens is there is that, that coming together. And so while he takes this step of faith and he begins to walk across, Jesus is coming over here. And the reason I want to tell you this is that if Jesus stood here and said, well, let's just do some water walking lessons for Peter, then the guys in the boat are still experiencing some fear because they're waiting for Jesus to come into the boat. And so his goal is to get to the boat and to provide his power to totally calm them down. And he's walking and he meets Peter. And as soon as Peter begins to sink, he grabs his hand. And now if you look in verse 31 to where it says, he immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Notice that Jesus was questioning Peter while he was holding his hand, not while he was sinking. He wasn't lecturing him and watching him flail in the water. He showed Peter his love and his protection first, and then there was the teaching time. The storm was still raging. Peter was still soaking wet, but he was safe in the master's hand as Jesus was looking at him, and it was a teaching moment. He took the step of faith, but he said that he had doubts. That word doubt is a word that means pulled in two different ways. And so a doubt means that I'm, I'm pulled over here looking to Jesus, but I'm pulled over here looking to circumstances. And when I'm pulled two different ways, I'm going to sink. The bottom line is that Peter feared the storm more than he trusted Jesus. You see, Peter feared the storm more than he trusted Jesus. His faith in Jesus was strong enough to get him out of the boat and walk on the water, but it was not strong enough for him to stand up to the storm. So he took that initial step of faith, getting out of the boat, and he took those first few steps, but it wasn't strong enough to stand up to the storm. Therefore, Jesus called him a man of little faith because his faith was superseded by doubt. So why does he say that? A man of little faith. I think it's because Jesus knew what was before Peter and what he would be facing in the future. There would be greater challenges in his life than walking on the water. Challenges that would demand a great faith. And Peter needed to learn from this. Don't doubt. Stand on the promises of God. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And don't let the circumstances of this world take you off course. And as he is holding him there in that water and lifting him up, he's saying of little faith, listen, keep your eyes always fixed to me. Don't let the circumstances around you shake you up. I will always be there. And I'm going to ask you to take some steps of faith that are even bigger than just walking on water. And I want you to learn from this. Don't let those doubts creep in. And so when they get back in the boat, I just don't think Jesus was lecturing Peter on his little faith while 11 others on the boat showed no desire to get to Jesus or to try their sea legs. He was the only one that took the challenge. He's the only one that when he said, take courage, he said, I'm going to take courage. Command me to come out to you. And I believe, you know, when we look at Jesus, and um, I just think it, it affects, um, it affects, I think, how we read Scripture and how we even see him. Because, see, some people would see Jesus as the stern lecturer that when Peter came over here, he grabbed him and, and then he drug him back to the boat with the water hitting him in the face and picked him up and threw him over the edge and said, what a disappointment you are on there. And they go, yeah, that's me. That's my life. You know, every time I try to take a step of faith and I mess up, that's what God does to me. When actually, 
he was coming to meet Peter. Peter was meeting him, and as he grabs him, he's holding on to him. He's got him safety. He's got security. He's got love. He's got protection. And then he gets in the boat with him, and he gets in the boat with him. And, uh, and as they're sitting in the boat, and he's soaking wet, and you, know, you kind of put a robe around him trying to dry him off. I just look at Jesus. Jesus is a guy that people enjoyed being with. Remember we talked about that last week? He went to the party. Everybody was, he was the big draw. And so if, if he's a guy that people like to be with, that means he does guy things. Now, ladies, you don't understand this, okay? But a way that one guy shows that he respects another guy is to insult him and make fun of him, Okay? There's a certain way where you draw the line. We either call it we rag on somebody, we diss somebody, we insult them. That's just what we are, okay? And it's amazing when guys do that and girls go, oh, I would have never said that. Oh, gosh. And you messed up for life. But, but for guys, it's just the way they operate, okay? And you got to understand, these are friends. And we just kind of rag on each other, make fun of things. And we know we put our arm around them. And I was thinking about that. What would happen on the boat? And, you know, there's kind of this uncomfortable silence, and here's Peter, he's soaking wet. I just think Peter sat down. I think Jesus just sat down next to him, put his arm around him, and said, hey. And you remember the first time we met? First time we met, you introduced yourself as Simon, and I said, no, you'll be called Peter Rock. Well, you sank like a rock today, okay? <laughs> I think that's good stuff. Uh, and just kind of put his arm around him. And he said, you know what? I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for taking the step, Okay? We learn from this. And I think everyone on the boat just kind of lighten up and, 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 and they're all one. We're all on the same team, okay? F.F. Bruce made it this. He made a statement. It's one thing to see a storm from the deck of a stout ship and another to see it in the midst of the waves. And so before we're casting stones at Peter to say, oh, man, what a lack of faith he has, it's one thing to see a storm when you're sitting in the ship. It's another thing to see a storm when you're walking on the waves, it's a whole different perspective. It's a whole different perspective on there. And I thought about this, and my prayer is that I would much rather be a wet water walker than a bone-dry boat sitter, okay? Some of you said, I wish I could hear that again, okay? One more time. I would rather be a wet water walker than a bone-dry boat sitter. I want to be the guy that stepped out on faith, and hey, I stepped out on faith, and, uh, and, and I just kind of let my doubts get in, and I, you know, slipped in the water. I didn't do anything. It's not a sin. I didn't do ethically, morally wrong. It's just that I didn't trust God as much as I should have, and I began to take some things back on myself. Rather than the guy who never takes a chance, just sits on the boat, dry as can be on there. And here's the last thing, and that is that Jesus causes you to fall in worship. Jesus causes you to fall in worship. As soon as he got on the boat and the wind ceased, unexpected Jesus led them to have a better understanding of his nature, his power, his love, his identity, and it resulted in them worshiping him as the Son of God. Now, they didn't fully understand what all the Son of God meant. You can keep following that through the Gospels and realize that that's still fine-tuning itself. But they saw him in a whole different light on there. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And I believe when they got in that boat and then the winds calm, it says they worshiped him. There was a kneeling and a bowing and worship. Truly, you are the son of God. Wow. You see, those unexpected days 
when Jesus shows up in unexpected ways, many times will cause you to fall and to worship. Jesus had a ministry of over three years. If you calculated the days, that would be close to 1,200 days. 1,200 days of his ministry. And uh, this is one 24-hour segment. (laughs) Think about that. 24 hours. In 24 hours, the disciples saw Jesus heal people. Saw him feed anywhere from five to 15,000 people. He saw Jesus walk on the water in the middle of the night. They saw one of their own disciples, Peter, walk on the water. And then they saw Jesus get back in the boat and he calmed the storm. What an unexpected day that was. That's incredible. (laughs) In 24 hours. So let me just give this reminder and challenge to all of us. God will come on unexpected days. He'll come in unexpected ways. And when he does, at least one of or all four things will happen. He will calm your fears. He'll challenge your faith. He'll correct your failures. And he'll cause you to fall down and to worship him. And through all of that, it'll take us in a closer walk with him. And that is a great expectation. Let me ask us by our heads. Close our eyes for a moment. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word and that we are able to learn from the things that your son has done and the things that your son has said. Father, help us not to be so surrounded and enthralled with just the expected, but let us fix our eyes on the unexpected, knowing, Lord, that you come to us at unexpected times on unexpected days. And when that happens, May we be fully open for you, ready to take that next step. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.